Today we are going to talk about approaching and practicing photography as a fine art, which is uh, one of the things that I've been uh, writing about lately. And we're going to answer questions such as, why do we create art? <laughs> which is a difficult question. And what characterizes photography as an art? And because some people believe that photography is not an art. And I completely understand because some aspects of photography are not art. But the way we practice photography is as an art. And so I think we should talk about what makes photography an art or what can make photography an art depending on how you approach it. What do you think? Well, I think we definitely need to define uh, fine art photography because there are a lot of photographers out there that say that they do fine art when in actuality they don't. So what is it that we do that's not fine art? What do they do? Well, they get their prints printed at Costco. I don't consider that to be fine art. That is not fine art. And the way I put it is, how would you like to buy an original, quote-unquote, an original Ansel Adams print that was printed at Costco? <laughs> I mean, Costco did not exist, I suppose, when Ansel Adams was printing, but let's say that it did, right? And you, you go to a gallery and they say, that's an original fine art print by Ansel Adams, but it was printed at Costco. Or, or you say, where was it printed? Uh, and, and they say, well, it, it was printed at Costco. That doesn't quite sound like it would be worth the money, right? No. There's no value to it. Yeah, and why is there no value to it? I mean, or less value to it? Because it's just run through a machine, and the artist isn't uh, taking control of the medium. Exactly. In other words, you know, with all due respect to Costco, even though their print quality might be, you know, s somewhat satisfying for some people, the artist did not print the work. And if the artist did not print the work, then, you know, why would you buy that print, you know, as an artist's print, you know? I mean, suddenly some artists sell prints that they did not make themselves, but if, to be fine art, these prints were made under their supervision. And I did that myself. In the beginning, before we had uh, digital photography, I would make silverchrome prints and other darkroom color prints. And I did not have a color darkroom, so I would work with a color printer. Pretty but much. I would personally be there, and I would supervise the printing, and I would tell them what I want, and I would tell them what I did not want, and I would tell them to redo it if I did not like it. And it was under my supervision. Right. Yeah. When but you, you were there for constantly... With I was your monitoring... Input. Ansel Adams did that as well, didn't he, when uh, it came to printing some of his books? For the books, but not for the fine art prints. But for the books, yeah, he had an agreement with his publisher, which was Little Brown and Company, in which he was authorized to be there during the printing. Which the printers, you know, the operators of the printing presses did not like because it means their job is going to be harder. <laughs> They're going to have to do things to reach a higher level of quality that they probably wouldn't do if nobody was there. And that's the number one thing. If you're going to have somebody print for you, first you should be able to monitor what they do and be there supervising. But also you have to be better than them at the level of printing. But you also have to know yeah. exactly what you want. Right, you have to know what you want, which means you have to be better than them as a printer. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the whole thing. If you're not as good as them, they're going to take control. They're going to say, well, that's perfect. And how, and how can you argue since you don't know what can be done? Mm -hmm. right? Uh, a beginner very often will ask for things that can't be done and they'll ignore things that can be done because we don't have the experience. Or the knowledge. Uh, 
And so you have to be better than them as printers. You have to be more experienced and you have to have more, uh, you know, experience printing and so on. And then the other thing with the print as Casco is that uh, most photographers that have their prints done at Casco don't sign them. And again, how would you like to have a print by Ansel Adams that's not signed? You know, I mean, where is the value, right? right? Most of the value in art is in the signature. Right. The difference between a work of art that's signed and a, and a work of art that's not signed is enormous in terms of, of value, in terms of money. Exactly. Yeah. I know when I taught 7th and 8th grade art on the Navajo Reservation, I had them sign every piece of artwork that they did in my class. They got into the habit of it at the age of 12. What's the value of a non-signed Picasso versus a signed yeah. Picasso? What's the value of a signed Van Gogh versus a non-signed Van Gogh? That, that's the difference. And so uh, I think that one of the things I would find out that's very important is because fine art is sold for more money than, let's say, non-fine art, the artist has to guarantee to his audience the maximum amount of value. And that's by printing the work or doing it under the supervision of the artist, signing the work. And then the other thing that we see with uh, Casco prints, are, you know, and we're not really Hal Bentley and Casco, uh, we, you know, prints that are done by machines, basically, right. or by online services. I mean, there's many places where you can send your prints and not have to do them yourself. Is that the artists do not mat or mount their their prints? You know, they come like that and they are shown like that as loose prints. Yes. And again, how would you like to buy a loose, non-signed, printed by someone else, and so Adam's print? I mean, at that point. What makes it an Ansel Adam print? Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's questionable. No, right? I agree. Yeah. The provenance, I mean, one of the things that really is important when you collect art is the provenance, the pedigree of the work. And you find that, uh, you know, in any sort of fine art domain, that where the work comes from, how it was created, whether it's signed or not, how it was mounted, how it's protected, all of that matters. It, it adds an enormous amount of value to the work. And who did it? Sure, well, the artist should do it. Right. And, and today, the, the reason why somebody would not print their work themselves, when we have uh, equipment that can be purchased and used very easily, is questionable. And eventually, I think, to be honest, uh, I think people that don't print their work themselves, when we are talking with sizes up to 12 by 15 or even 16 by 20, which can be done on printers that cost less than $1,500, I, I think that the reason why somebody is not printing his or her work himself or herself in both sizes is because they don't want to spend the time or the effort uh, or the money. And uh, there's no other reason. Because the reason why I wasn't printing my color prints myself is because I did not want to be on the color darkroom. And that was an investment that was in the five figures, maybe six figures. Today, if you have a computer, which you have to have to do digital photography, the only difference between having a printer or not is a matter of a few hundred dollars or at most, you know, less than $1,500. Mm -hmm. I agree. And when you look at the cost of a camera, a printer is totally competitive with the cost of a digital camera at those prices. And there's no work involved. You just put it on your desk and you're done. You don't need to be on the darkroom. You don't need to, sp to have a special room. And so eventually, if somebody says, well, I don't want to spend, let's say, $1,000 to buy a printer to print my work, and I don't want to spend the time to learn and, and uh, do it myself. That person is basically saying, I want to save time and I want to save money. 
But the problem we find out is that it's not designed to save time and it's not designed to save money. On the other hand, find out is what you do when you really want to spend as much time and as many resources as you can, including money, to get the finest print in the world. So it's totally antithetical. It's opposite to what the goals are. Mm -hmm. It's like saying, I want to do this, but then I really don't want to do everything that I have to do to do this properly. And so we are not doing it. And it's a whole lot easier, you know, to go back to your question as to what is fine art and why somebody says it's fine art when it's really not. It's a whole lot easier to say it is fine art than to do everything that you have to do to make it fine art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the problem is that there is a large part of the audience that does not know exactly what is fine art. And when they are told it's fine art and they see something that looks like fine art, you know, they basically say if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's a duck. But no, it's, it can be somebody disguised as a duck also. And in that case, it's a photograph disguised as fine art. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and that's really the question. A lot of people are starting into digital photography because there's such an interest in it. And a lot of people haven't got to the point of studying, you know, what makes a photograph a work of art. And they are basically very often the victim of people that have far less scruples than, than other people. Right. Well, what really disturbs me is when I see them advertise their work as fine art photography, and then you look at their prints, and, you know, there's a color shift, you know, there's like too much yellow or too much red, the composition is very weak. And um, I can just tell by looking at it that this person is, is at the very beginning level of photography. And to call it fine art photography right. actually d bothers me because it definitely is It's not. preposterous. You I know. mean, we have to call things by their name. It's preposterous. And again, I think it's taking advantage of an audience who, for the large part, may not be fully aware of what is a good photograph. You know? right. and, and can't separate art from technique. That's very important. One of the things that is at the foundation of my teaching is that I separate fine art photography in two parts. Part one, in no particular order, is the art, and part two, again, in no particular order, is the technique. And a fine art photograph, at the very minimum, is a photograph that's technically excellent and artistically inspired. That is, you have to take into account the technique. You have to master the technique, but then you have to have art in it. Mm -hmm. That is, you have to be inspired, you have to express your vision, because how can you create fine art without art? So what I was saying is that art is divided in two parts, art and technique, and how can you do art if you don't have art in it, right? That's the important thing. A lot of people in photography, and I think that's a very, very important point, focus mostly on the technique. That is, photography is a highly technical medium. And the technique can be overwhelming. And we see it with a lot of our students. When you start in photography and you have to learn how to use a camera and then you have to learn how to use Photoshop and then you have to learn how to print and, and do all of these things. You know, and adding and framing. And right. And, and all of the optimization work in Photoshop. You know, a lot of people basically become totally focused on the technical aspect. And then they say, I do fine art, but truly, they've never expressed any emotion in their work. They've never tried to express a vision. They've never considered the artistic side. And when you tell them, where is the art, they really don't know what to say. And part of the problem is that a lot of photography today, when we're talking instruction, a lot of photography starts purely from a technical perspective. 
Very few people teach VR. And I think the reason is because traditionally photography was taught as a technical discipline. If you look at the workshops in chemical days, in film days, people were learning how to work in the darkroom, how to operate their camera, how to photograph in the film, but they never learned the concepts of art. And that's what we teach, you know. And so a lot of the people that come and study with us do this because we focus on the artistic aspects of photography. Well, we teach photography as a visual art form, which we believe it is. Well, not only do we believe it is, but it is. It's not a fact, that, not just a matter of belief, it's a fact. Photography is a visual art, just like painting, drawing, sculpture, architecture, ceramics, and all of that. The question is, do you want to practice it as a visual art, or do you want to practice it as something that's purely a form of documentation? I mean, if we look at a realtor, a real estate agent, that would photograph the houses that they have listed for sale, they're not interested in, per in expressing their personal vision, or they're not inspired in particular, they don't have an emotional content to their work. They are just taking photographs of houses for sale. Mm -hmm. And to, for that person to say it's fine art would be preposterous. I mean, it'd be a joke. Well, you know. even travel photography. Right. Travel photography, forensics, scientific photography, any form of documentation. There's millions of views of photography that are non-artistically oriented. That is, they are not even purely technical, they are just documentative. You know, they don't even have to have good technique. So photograph is, if you photograph a house for sale and it's slightly overexposed, it may not be totally sharp, who cares? The photograph is going to be very small on the web, you're going to see what a 500 pixel wide JPEG. <laughs> you don't have to have technical perfection. Well, I remember when we were looking for a realtor, he was really excited and said, well, I can take photos of your house and use HDR. And I was like, no, 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 wait a second, wait a second. I do not want you to do HDR images on my house when you put it up for sale. Beware of realtors that use HDR. Yeah, because, you know, it's going to look very artsy, but that's not the idea. We are no. not selling fine art, we are selling a house. And so if the realtor wants to get too creative with it, we might turn up some potential customers <laughs> exactly. that are not so I interested. I just want documentation they, at that point. I just want to see the living room. I don't care that it's HDR. You know, and people would, would call and say, it looks funky. Well, less, yes, that's one way to do it. It does look funky because you know what that's a weird look for listing for a house now in the world of fine art it will come across as perfect but in the world of real estate it's not recommended no. okay, so we did not hire him <laughs> no, right. no we didn't yeah. <laughs> you know right or wrong I don't oh. know but you know at least we had a feeling that that was not the way to go so you know all of this to say that photography can be fine art but of course photography can be all sort of other things and there's no problem doing whatever it is that you want to do with photography. The problem is when you say it's fine art and all you have is a photograph that's really technically, you know, oriented. And then of course, if you spend all of your time thinking and studying technique, guess what happens to the photograph? It, it becomes purely technique, right? Um, and, and the thing is that a lot of people end up having photographs after working on the technique for a number of years that are technically perfect. And then they say it's fine art, because they believe that fine art are technically perfect photographs. Well, no, <laughs> that's not fine art. That's a technically perfect photograph. We have to have some art in it to make it a fine art photograph. That is, you know, if we take the word fine art and we divide it in two, the word fine might apply to excellent technique. The word art has to apply to artistic content. So the thing is, what is the artistic content? And the artistic content 
in terms of goal is the expression of an emotion. It's having an emotional content to the work, because art is by nature emotional. The, one of the differences between, let's say, a forensic or scientific or documentation photograph and an artistic photograph is that the documentation photograph does not have an emotional content, while the artistic photograph has. Right? That is, it has purposefully, you know, uh, that is, it's built into the photograph by the author of the photograph, by the artist. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the main differences. And so we can ask, you know, what is... How do you place an emotional content in a photograph? Well, you do so by using artistic concepts. For example, the concept of color palette. You know, that uh, an artistic photograph is going to be one where you control the kind of colors that you have in the photograph. It's also the style of the artist. It's the fracture, that is how the piece was created, the handiwork of the artist, so to speak. It's the control of contrast. It's the choice of black and white or color at different times based on what you want to express. Well, I know with some of your photographs, people feel inspired. They'll look at an image and it inspires them. And so I know that's why um, when I would do the art shows, that's why they would buy your art was because right. it inspired them or it just made them feel really good. They look at the photograph and they want to create... They buy a on an emotional level. Right, but that's marketing. And there's no doubt that photographs are sold on an emotional level. But in terms of art, they look at the photograph and they feel inspired to create similar photographs. Yes. Now, when was the last time that you looked, to go back to the example we used before, that you looked at a real estate listing and you thought, my God, I've got to take photographs like that. Right. <laughs> right. Because that's not the purpose. These photographs might be inspiring in the sense of making you want to buy that house and, and be inspired in, about living in that house. But the idea is not to be inspired about taking the photograph, right? Because it's not art, it's simply documentation. It's a, it's a literal representation of what was there. So those are some of the aspects of a fine art photograph. And of course, you know, what we should also mention is composition, you know, exposure, and, and all of the things that can control the look of a photograph. Composition is very, very important. The thing that's very important also in terms of studying fine art photography is that when you learn how to do fine art photographs, you learn a lot of things that are what I call the fundamentals aspects of photography. And the fundamental aspect of photography, which are composition, which are the use of color, the decision of doing black and white or color, the expression of a personal style, and all of that, those are not affected by technological changes. They're immune to technological change. And what it means is that if you buy a book on the fundamentals of photography, which my two books are, or if you take a class on that, or if you study that on your own, None of that knowledge is going to be wasted if you change your camera or you upgrade to a different computer or you buy new equipment. Because it's timeless. It will never, ever change. Right. I use the same knowledge of composition today with a digital bag than I used when I was painting with a paintbrush. There's no difference. Mm -hmm. They are fundamental knowledge. Well, the, the Munsell color system hasn't changed since the very beginning. Since Munsell. What was that? In the <laughs> 19, early 1890. Yeah, 1890s? Yeah. Yeah, but, but going further, you know, the golden rule was used by the Greeks. Right. So there you go. That Ooh. beats Munsell by another 2,000 years. <laughs> right there. Bang. You know. 
And it can be argued that you can go further than that. But the whole idea here is that it has a timeless quality that you don't invest money that you're going to have to reinvest when there is, let's say, the next version of the software, right? See, the difference between what we teach and, let's say, software is we don't have composition 2.0, we don't have inspiration 3.6, we don't have creativity 4.5, we don't have facture or personal style 6.0 or CS4, we just have one of each, that's it, we don't upgrade it. It changes because you change, it doesn't change because the technology changes, right. it's timeless. There's no doubt that style will evolve across a photographer's career, but it is timeless. You know, composition is a timeless concept. So the difference between my books and other books is that they have a very, very, very long shelf life. You know, yes, they do. As opposed to other books that are by nature technical that have a very short shelf life. And I think one example is just now a few, what was it, 15, 20 minutes ago, we checked the mail and we had a book on panoramic photography. And I looked at it, and because the book was written and then published, and because the publishing process takes you know, anywhere from six months to a year, by the time I got the book in my hand, it's talking with software that's already outdated. And I do a lot of stitching and do a lot of collages, which is what the book talks about, but I don't do it at all like the book does uh, recommend, because all of that is outdated. Mm -hmm. And so I can look at this book and think, well, you know, I don't need it. Right. It's already out of the window. It's already passé. It's too late. I've got this book too late. It's, no, it's of no use to me. Well, with my books, the lasting value is present. I mean, it's an undeniable fact. And actually, I go back to my books on my own uh, to, to find things that I don't remember necessarily. So, so that's one of the differences. And I think a lot of people, including ourselves, tend to forget that when you live in a world in which everything is changing all the time, there are certain things that don't change. Right. <laughs> Not everything changes. That's true. And then, so that's the number one point. The number two point is that if you change your camera, if you or your computer or your equipment or your software, and you get the latest, newest, and best equipment or software or, or whatever camera, you're not really improving the art. You're only improving the technique. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of students that constantly buy the latest of everything. And we have to tell them, okay, that's great, you, you have the very best, and it's totally up to date, you have the finest that's available today. But, you know, things that are timeless need to be studied as well, you know, because you tend to get caught into a constant upgrade process without thinking that you need to also work on refining your knowledge of composition, of color, and all of that. Oh, of, of and it's very expensive, you know. The cameras are. Well, to constantly upgrade. Yeah, the, co the composition is not. Oh, no. I mean, that's the yeah. foundation of the arts, the uh, art, the elements and principles of art. You know, those don't change. It's just, you know, a solid foundation of uh, teaching, you know, perspective and depth, how to create depth and mm -hmm. lines and shapes and light and texture and all of that, that never changes. But upgrading your camera equipment, even software, that's very costly. Right. And, and that's fine. That's something we all have to do. But the thing that's very important to understand is that 
if you invest in learning composition, like you say, perspective or recreation of depth, I mean, all of the artistic concepts, there's so many of them, we can't really go over them all here. You, you have made an investment that's timeless. That is, you've invested in something that's not going to change. And what we see a lot today with this constant change of technology, I mean, technology in photography has never been more active than it is now. It's never changed so fast. There's never been so much progress is that people forget that there is another aspect, which is the artistic aspect, and that aspect is timeless. Mm -hmm. You can learn it once, and you'll never have to relearn it. But the problem is a lot of people don't quite pay attention to it, because they are mesmerized with the technique. Right. It's pushed aside. It's pushed aside. Or because, just right. ignored. Because, and in a sense, you know, if I was to not know what I know, being the importance of the artistic aspect, in terms of creating remarkable photographs, I'd spend 100% of my time you know, on the technique. Because if you just go on the web and if you listen to the manufacturers, it's technique, technique, technique. It's just purely and simply technical. And so how do you make sure that you don't spend all your time on technique? You, you, you watch what you do and you check every day or once a week whether you spend half of your time on technique and half of your time on art or 100% on, on technique, or for some people, 100% on art. You have to do 50-50. You have to do half and half. I agree. And that can only be done if you check yourself. If you do a check, you, you, you ask yourself, okay, what did I work on this week? Did I just upgrade my equipment and learn new technique and learn how to use the new equipment? Or did I also focus on some artistic aspects mm -hmm. and did 50-50? Right. And let me tell you, most people do not do 50-50. Most people do 100% zero or 90-0 or 90-10. Yeah. And so we go back to the concept of fine art. You can't say it's fine art if you're only working on the technical aspects. The fine art aspect is not going to come in by, a, by an accident. It's not going to happen by miracle. Mm -hmm. You have to put it in there. Another thing that I find very interesting is painting. If you compare to painting, you find out that painters do not have this obsession with technique. The painters work on the artistic aspect primarily. And the reason for that is because there is very little technical aspects to painting. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. I mean, for, the, for one thing, painting is what I call an immediate act of creation. That is, you take a paintbrush, or the same with drawing, you take a pencil, you put some paint, you put it onto the canvas, and there you have a piece of art. With photography, you take a photograph, you have to convert it, and then you have to print it, and then you have now a piece of art. But the distance or the time difference between taking the photo and getting the print can be days or even weeks or even months. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not automatic. No. There is a delay. And that delay means that you have all of that technique that stands between you and the print. The only medium, the only photographic medium that does not have that separation in time is Polaroid where you take a photo and you get a print. It's not immediate, but it's a few seconds later, a minute at the most. What I find interesting is that you don't hear painters calling themselves fine art painters. Why is that? It's a, it's a different question. I mean, I think that uh, if you listen to photographers that really do fine art, mm -hmm. the ones that, there's no doubt they do it. You know, you look at people like... Uh, you know, Ansel Adams, for example, would be one of them. Edward Weston, um, you look at uh, Cartier-Bresson, you look at, um, you know, a lot of big names. Right. And you listen to what they say. They, they're not going to use the term fine art photography. They're just going to say, I do photography. 
Same with sculptures. They don't do, you know, sculpture, but, uh, people that are at a very high level of, of achievement are not going to say, I do fine art sculptures. Right. They do sculptures, right? The same with musicians, you know. But you, don't, you don't hear a very famous musician saying, I do concert piano. They, do pia they, they are pianists, right? Right. Um, or symphony or orchestra. Right, or I think whatever. you can expand in all sorts of domains. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think that the problem is universal, or the, adi the attitude is universal. And to me, the way I explain it is like this. It's not necessarily a good reason. I think it's very elitist. That what I've noticed in the world of what I call high art, high art is the extremely advanced part of the fine arts, you know, where you become known worldwide and you add the apex and basically considered the best in your field, is that people start to use the name of their medium for the whole of the medium. Right. But it's even though, you know, a concert pianist is 1% of all the pianists in the world, right? Even though uh, a photographer like Adams is 1% of all the photographers in the world in terms of numbers, there's hardly any like him. They are going to say, I do photography as opposed to fine art landscape photography and use the term that defines what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. And that's because they think, and, and that's my personal belief, if somebody disagrees, you know, just email me or call and you know, argue with me, I'm fine with that. But that's because I think they believe that they define the use of the medium for everybody else involved. Mm -hmm. That they are doing the very best, the most advanced, the cutting edge stuff that nobody else is doing. And that their actions are going to define everything about the medium. In other words, what is a fine art landscape photography? It's whoever is at the top of that pile, uh, the very best, the most well-known photographer in that domain. And that person is going to say they do photography. So it's re really uh, digital that brought that term in, fine art? I don't art think so, because you find the term uh, concert pianist back in time, mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of years. And then you find people saying they are pianists. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's what they are really saying. When they, people that use the global term to define a very narrow application of that term are basically saying, I'm a member of the high art elite. And I define what that medium can be used to do. It's, it's a very pretentious approach in a way. It's somewhat elitist. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. But it leads to confusion. Because once you go into... And, and you address an audience that's not high art, that's not as educated as the high art audience. You run into problems. That is, that works, that attitude works if you are addressing an audience that knows exactly what you talk about, that uses the same language. Right. The minute you go, let's say, like we were at Grand Canyon, and you sell photography, right, quote-unquote, to an audience that is not familiar with what high art photography is, they look at you and they say, well, I do photography too. Mm -hmm. And then you run into a problem because you're, you, know, you don't want to be rude, but you can't help but think, well, yeah, but it's not, quote-unquote, photography that you do. What you do is snapshot. Right? Right. But, but what is really happening is those people are using the term photography in a global sense. Right. I'll take my own pictures. Right. They, they are saying, well, photography is all of this. You know, everything that's done with a camera, what you're, say well, what you're saying is, well, photography is only what I do. Right. And so the elitist approach, which I think is what it is, is in conflict with the global approach. And then you have to explain to them, okay, photography is not. And of course, they can't understand because photography also is all about. So when you start to deal with a less knowledgeable audience, an audience that's not part of the high art 
let's say, circuit or entourage, you really need to go and say, this is fine art photography. And you probably need to say, this is fine art landscape or fine art portrait or fine art wedding photography. Because these people need a different term than the term they use. Right. Otherwise, they get confused. Right. If you say, I do photography, let's say you, do, you say, I do photography, I do wedding photography, and I charge $1,000 for a portrait. And, and they look at you and say, oh, I do photography and I charge nothing. They don't understand why you would charge $1,000. But if you say, listen, uh, what I do is find out wedding and portrait photography, and because it's much more complicated to do than just a photo, I charge $1,000. Then now people might say, oh, really, that's interesting. I can see what you mean. What is more difficult about it than what I do? And then you can just have a list. Right. And I don't think that it's difficult to come up with a list. No. You know, both again on the artistic and the technical aspect. That is, on the, on the technical, you probably want to list that you have the finest equipment, that you know very specialized techniques, and then on the artistic, that you have the fundamental training of an artist on composition, color, style, and all of that. And, and I think that explains to the audience exactly what you're doing. But if you just say, I do photography, I, I really think that you're confusing everybody around. And, and what we see happen as, as photography becomes more and more widespread, and it's becoming more and more widespread because there's literally millions, if not tens of millions of digital cameras being sold every year, is that as it's becoming more and more widespread, less and less people or, or a smaller and smaller percentage of the audience really knows what is high art photography. I mean, I did an interview with somebody in Canada online, and this person was a guest speaker at a conference in which Ralph Gibson was a co-speaker. And he told me, he says, I had never heard of that guy. <laughs> never. Ralph Gibson is known worldwide for his fine art black and white photograph of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've known him since the first year that I had an interest in photography because the first year that I had an interest in photography, what I did is I went to the Mont for Photography in Paris, which is hundreds of galleries and exhibition spaces, including cafes and all sorts of places, display photographs, and you can go and see them. And there was exhibitions by Ralph Gibson. So even though I had no idea who he was, the minute I became interested, I knew who he was. Right. But I was in a location, you know, Paris, France, which is a high art, quote-unquote, location. Right. Where you're going to be exposed to high art photography. Whether you want to or not. <laughs> Whether you want to. You don't have the choice. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> right. And, and in France, you know, it's totally true because you have art in the streets. Right. right? You have sculptures. You have, you know, public displays of art, musicians. So even if you say, you know, I don't even want to pay. Well, that's fine. You, you bypass all the paying museums. But then you have all sorts of galleries that are free. And then, like I said, these shows in cafes, in restaurants, in you know, all sorts of locations. Right. Anyway, you have a wall, basically. You have a potential for an exhibition. And so I, I was immediately exposed to that. That was 1980. Okay, so now we're in 2009, and I'm doing an interview with a professional photographer who does not know, and he was totally honest, what who Red Biancena is. And when he found out who he was and what he did, he found his work to be, quote-unquote, weird. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he himself does land portraits and weddings, right. and... I would be the first one to say that what he does is quote-unquote will, you know. But it's just not the same weirdness. Right. And, and I think that, he, because I think he's targeting an audience who is a global audience. Well, uh, Ralph Gibson is obviously targeting an audience which is very, very knowledgeable, you know, very high art, okay. 
So we, we run into this problem. And, and if you deal with uh, a world in which nobody knows who Ralph Gibson is, not that you have to know, but you know, I grew up in an environment where everybody knew, um, you probably want to be more specific about what you do. Because you're going to run into this problem every day. You know? So you have to stop saying, I do photography, and start saying, listen, I do fine art photography, or I do artistic photography, at the very least. You know? Right. Otherwise, people are just dumbfounded. They stare at you, and they're like, they don't okay. get it. And why is what I do not photography again? Run that by me again. What you do is photography and what I do is not. But I have a camera, you know. <laughs> right? You know, it's like two runners, you know, running next to each other. And you look at them, and one looks at the other and says, I'm a runner. And they always say, and what am I, a swimmer? You know, no, we're both runners. And what, what one wants to say is maybe, I'm a marathon runner. Ah, that's different from right. a jogger, right? And, and if you compete in the Olympic, then you're an Olympic runner. Okay, that's different. That, that just does the job. You know, there's, there's very few people in the world that, would, that are joggers that would say that they are the level of an Olympic runner. But if you just say, I'm a runner, well, that's really discriminative to all everybody else that, that's running, right? And I think the necessity to be specific is there. And that's why I started defining what is fine art photography. And I, and I did it. Uh, I'm working on an essay, which I'll publish uh, soon, in which I talk about all the different aspects that, to me, compose fine art photography. And I found that that was necessary because we can't talk about something that we do without knowing what it is, without having a sort of definition. Mm -hmm. and, and in my case, it's a fairly long definition, but, it, but it, it's necessary because there's so many aspects to it. So we've talked about a lot of different aspects of fine art photography, and it's a little bit uh, of a beginning introduction because eventually the purpose of the postcast is really to start thinking about what is fine art photography and you know throw out there some concepts that we use regularly uh, when we teach. And uh, the idea for this postcast is to go along and continue the previous podcast which was about our workshops, right? Yes. And in it, we talked about what we do during the workshops. And here, we wanted to talk a little bit about what is fine art photography, because it, it is, as we saw, uh, somewhat confusing to some people. So we're going to close on this for today, and uh, we'll see you again on the next podcast.